You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. So on today's show, we have Earn, and his net worth is $3.1 million. And he's got a he's got a bunch of different you know classes in that 3.1 million, with his biggest one being about 1.2 in the equity markets, and that's between his retirement accounts and his non-retirement accounts. And of that 1.2 million, about 90% is invested in an S&P 500 index fund. So he has about a million dollars in the S&P 500 index fund. And so we ask him about that and why he's so heavily allocated in that fund. And you know, he opens up about that and then shares his insight about how he wish he had a little bit more allocated to international funds. Also, he talks about why he doesn't invest in any actively managed mutual funds, and he really does favor those index funds. And then he also had about 250000 in deferred compensation. And so he opens up about his strategy with that and what he's thinking in the future about taking that money once he retires. And then lastly, I thought he had a great piece of information at the end about getting started when you're young and what he did and what he wishes he would have done and just provided some some great you know input on what all of us can can work on and put into our retirement plan. All right, welcome to Millionaires Unveiled. Today we have Earn with us. Earn, do you want to just give us a little bio about yourself? Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Earn. Uh, I'm 43 years old. I'm married. Uh, my wife is in her mid-30s, and we have a little daughter who is four years old. And uh, my wife and I are both immigrants. Uh, I came to the U.S. in the in the late 90s, and I came here for grad school, and um, got my uh, master's and PhD here. And I've yeah, ever since being here, I used to work in academia before, and uh, then in 2008, I uh, did the plunge and started working for Wall Street. So uh, I've been there ever since, always with the same company, and I'm not going to reveal where I work. I mean, that that would raise all sorts of compliance issues, uh, and uh, if 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 it ever became obvious, people people will recognize the company. But I'm not going to mention it on the uh, on the blog. I'm not going to mention it on any podcast because I don't want this to look like uh, my company is endorsing anything that I'm saying here. Yeah, so I'm I'm just doing this on my on my own time. Uh, so, anyways, and um, I'm part of the. Fire community, so financial independence and retire early, and uh, so that's what my blog is about. So I followed my path for the last uh, one and a half, two years to reach financial independence, and then next year, early next year, I'll try to retire too. Good. So are you going to completely retire from working next year? Um, that's the plan, and uh, I mean, obviously, you can always think about doing maybe a little bit of consulting work on the side, uh, and uh, but it's definitely the way I laid out the plan, um, the 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 savings target and everything. I I built that up high enough that hopefully, if fingers crossed, I never have to work again because it's it's very hard. 
to go back into the workforce and get a comparable job again after after you've been out for say two or three years it, it would be hard to get a to get a job with a with a similar caliber employer with a similar salary with similar benefits so i yeah i mean i definitely plan to I've, I've I've already probably worked maybe one or two years too long, uh, but uh, so it's, it's just that extra safety cushion that I want because I definitely want a plan to never work a full time job again. Gotcha. So. And what is your net worth right now? Uh, it's about three point one million, uh, and uh, I we we can talk about more where it's how it's distributed and how it's allocated uh yeah but that's so it's a 3.1 million and so my my savings target was to have a net worth somewhere in the region of maybe 28 to 30 times annual spending and uh so we're already above that so it's it's already a bit of a safety cushion and uh so i'm i'm going to probably retire next year in the spring uh there's going to be a little bit more of of bonus payments and deferred compensation that comes in then and i hope that i could uh, hopefully lift it to something like 3.2 or three and a quarter million then gotcha and how did you decide that you wanted to get about 28 to 30 times of your annual spend? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of research out there on how much you need to, to retire and, and never have to. And how, how, much do you, how much do you need to retire and never have to, have to worry about running out of money, right? So this, this, this whole discussion about the 4% rule, uh, equivalently, that would mean that you need about 25 times your annual spending. Uh, and I did some of some of the research myself, and um, yeah, twenty five times is probably it's probably relatively safe, but uh, it's not a hundred percent safe. Uh, so especially considering that equities are quite expensive right now, and bond yields are really low. Uh, so every every asset class right now seems a little bit overpriced, and I want to be. Want to be super cautious. I mean, some people are are so conservative, and then they say, "Well, you need at least forty or fifty times annual expenses." I don't. I don't think that's that's necessary. Uh, but uh, yeah, something like a, like a twenty eight to thirty x, which would mean that you are looking at something like a three point three or three point five percent safe withdrawal rate. Uh, that uh, that is that is probably uh, where where I want to be, where I'm comfortable. And how do you know what your your spend will be in retirement? Have you kind of been tracking your spending pretty tightly the last couple of years? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I've been tracking my spending, but the problem is we're we're going to have to move to a cheaper location. So right now I'm in a location that's extremely expensive. Housing is really expensive here. Everything is expensive: food, gasoline, cars, parking spaces. Um, so. Uh, we will move to a cheaper location, and uh, uh, so there is a little bit of an uncertainty: how much cheaper will it be over there? But again, I'm, everywhere I budgeted very generously. So, and I was thinking about, yeah, something like a seventy to eighty thousand dollars annual expenses in the long term. And the first two years, probably first two and a half years in retirement, we also want to do a lot of traveling uh, because our daughter will start first grade in the year 2020 so and we thought that until then we have this window where we'll be super flexible where we can do some really elaborate and extended travel 
uh, say, just take off two or three months and fly to Europe or take off two or three months and fly to Asia. And uh, yeah, because of that, we we will probably have to budget a little bit more than that for the first two and a half years. So maybe maybe all the way up to $100,000 per year for the first uh, for the the first two years, uh, but then long term, I think we'll, we should be able to get by uh, and and live extremely comfortably on say seventy to eighty thousand dollars a year. Gotcha. Have you kept a budget for the last I don't know ten years or so? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I mean, I track expenses. So I have Google and uh, sorry, I have Quicken, and I have uh, I have expenses that I tracked on Quicken since basically the early 2000s. And, uh, but then again, it's, I mean, it's obviously much more expensive to live here. So, uh, in, in our current location and, uh, but I mean, I, I have to say that, yeah, I mean, I, I have a relatively high salary right now. And, uh, so budgeting, uh, I mean, I'm tracking expenses, but I'm I'm not living. We're not living on a super tight budget, uh, so it's, sure. it's it's not it's not like end of the month. I, I say, oh God, we can't spend on this because we already exhausted our our spending for this category. So right. I'm, I, we're we're not super tight on the on the budget. I have to because a lot of people in this in this fire community, right? I mean, they they say, I mean, you have to be super frugal, and uh, uh, so uh, fortunately, I have this this latitude. Uh, in, in in the place where where we are right now, that I I don't have to be overly frugal. Gotcha. So let's dive into your into your net worth. It's three point one million. And what are maybe you know how how is that invested? What are the top five buckets there? Uh, yeah. So it's basically very equity heavy. So I, I'll I'll made I made a little spreadsheet here for for me to help me. And um, so a little bit over a million dollars of that is in retirement accounts. So that's 401ks, IRAs, and Roths. Uh, so that's uh, that's roughly a million, 1.05 million, uh, and that's entirely in equities. So this there's, there's not even a single dollar invested in bonds. And and, uh, and by equities, you so, mean mutual and index funds yes. or single stocks? Yeah. Or? So it's uh, it's all in index funds. So and I have the breakdown here. So it's nine hundred thousand dollars in S and P five hundred index funds. Uh, so it's a lot of it is in uh, FUSVX. I have a lot of uh, uh, I have a rollover IRA with Fidelity. So that's in the FUSVX. Uh, and then at my current employer. We also have index funds, but I mean they don't even have tickers. So it's, it's U.S. large cap, uh, because the, the uh, because I work in finance, so we we actually do our own index funds uh, in our four hundred one k plan. And the advantage is it has zero expense ratio, so that's that's a nice deal uh, that we get. So so it it would be in the equivalent of say the FUSVX. Uh, so that's a total of nine hundred thousand uh, dollars. Then I have a U.S. total stock market index. That's a FSTVX. Uh, that's about uh, fifty thousand dollars, and then I have a hundred thousand dollars in international stocks. And there, there's a we have a very nice uh, index fund in our four hundred one k. It's called the and again it doesn't have a ticker, uh, but the but the index that it tracks it's called the Acqui US uh, the Acqui X US. So this is all country world index. Everything but the U.S. and that includes developed markets and emerging markets as well, and that that's about a, another hundred thousand dollars. So you're well into index funds. Do, yes. Talk about kind of why you like index funds versus mutual funds or single stocks. 
Um, I mean, I don't like actively managed mutual funds because, uh, again, so I'm, uh, I like passive investments, which sounds, which sounds interesting because I work in the industry, right? So, but what I do for a living has nothing to do with stock picking. Um, and uh, so I, I'm, I'm working in a different niche in, in finance. I work in asset management and we do asset management not within asset classes but across asset classes so we do something that uh, yeah amounts to finding what is uh, a relative attractiveness of different major asset classes say stocks versus bonds versus cash and then within asset classes we don't do the stock picking we do mostly the uh, country picking so we we would think about the relative attractiveness of say us versus canada versus france germany switzerland japan australia new zealand uh, so i so neither neither in my in my job nor in my personal portfolio would I ever get into stock picking. I've, I find that exercise personally, I find that too burdensome to, to dig through balance sheets. And um, so I've basically my entire life, I've, I've been, a, I've been an index investor. So gotcha. uh, both professionally and also personally. I see. And the, the IRAs and the 401k, are those both Roth or do you have some traditional buckets as well? Uh, so we have about, it's a little bit over $50,000 is in a Roth or, or yeah, uh, yeah Roth, uh, about a little bit. So something like $120,000 is in IRAs. So these are IRAs that we, uh, that we, that we funded with post-tax money. And then the remainder, which is something like eight hundred sixty-eight, eight hundred seventy thousand, so or so, that's in four hundred one ks. And so I call the I call that four hundred one k. So this is the current four hundred one k, and then the four the four hundred one k from my previous employer, uh, which is now in a rollover IRA. But so uh, definitely my plan is to. Uh, do the rollover? Uh, do do this reverse rollover of the of the current uh, uh, rollover IRA back uh, that that goes into the four hundred one k of the current employer, and then I'll have a relatively low, uh, I'll I'll have a relatively advantageous tax basis for doing the roll for doing the Roth conversion of the IRA. So uh, the, the problem is that if I do the Roth conversion now. Um, I, I, I would so the 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 cost basis of the IRAs uh, would uh, would be too low. So do you see where I'm where I'm getting with this? So because the the rollover IRA is basically zero cost base. This is all pre-tax money, and I want to make sure that that I have the maximum amount of uh, uh, of contributions and cost basis uh, in the IRAs when I do the rollover. And uh, so so I'll I'll do that. Uh, probably, probably uh, in 2019, because next year will be the last year when we have a when we have a very high uh, taxable income, and then 2019 we have a lower taxable income. So then we do then we'll do the Roth conversion of the uh, of the of the traditional IRAs. Gotcha. So are you are you going now that you have that kind of advantageous uh, fee structure with your current employer, are you planning on leaving that 401k with the, the employer when you leave, or are you going to roll that over too? Uh, um, if they let me, I'll do it. And I mean, so, I mean, so far I haven't called HR yet and asked, Hey, I'm going to leave next year. Can I leave this with you? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm 90% sure that I can. 
because I mean, again, okay, it's it's something like. 0.035% for the FUSVX expense ratio with fidelity and it would be zero at my current employer. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a few hundred dollars and I'll, I'll take it. Uh, I mean, it's not going to, it's not going to make a huge change, but yeah, I mean, definitely I would like to leave that, that big chunk of almost $900,000 in the, in the 401k at my current employer at, at zero expense ratio. And the, and the zero expense funds, I mean, they have the, the large cap, fund and then also the international Acqui XUS that's all zero cost so I mean that that definitely saves me some some fees there gotcha so one one thing that you've got interesting in your portfolio is is some option trading do you want to talk right. a little bit about that right so uh, so again so these were the retirement accounts I also have uh, so so that's all I have um, in uh, in tax deferred so the rest which is uh, something like 2.05 million dollars I'm, I'm very fortunate that is in in taxable accounts so that is something that's accessible uh, <clears throat> and uh, so about a million of that is in what I call my alternative bucket and uh, so I do option trading that is currently Currently about $650,000 and then I have private equity funds uh, that invest in real estate that's $350,000. So the option trading strategy, uh, so that's $650,000, that's a a very interesting and very intriguing and very attractive strategy I think. It's both for building wealth and then also for generating income. uh, it's uh, it's derived off of something that's that's been around for a long time. I mean, uh, it's it's called covered call writing, right? So you own an asset and then you sell the upside potential through a call option. So you say you own. So a lot of people do this with individual stocks. Uh, say they own um, they own Exxon Mobil. And uh, say XMO, I don't even know where it's to see. I'm not a, I'm not an individual stock trader, but let's say it's, it trades at sixty dollars, and then somebody sells a call option at sixty two dollars, and so you would sell the upside of that position and you collect a premium for that, and if the stock goes above that, then uh, well you only make the profit up to sixty two dollars, but above that uh, the, the the person who bought the call option is going to uh, is going to exercise the call option and and buy and buy the underlying from you at sixty two dollars and so basically they make the they make the excess over the sixty two. But if the stock declines or if the stock stays the same, I get to keep the option premium. Gotcha. That's interesting. So do you do that through Fidelity or which which company do you use to do that through? Uh, so for that, uh, you want to save on the fees because I have a lot of transactions and I use interactive brokers and that's a that's a platform that apparently specializes on futures trading and um, I I wouldn't necessarily use them for anything else and I think they're a little bit thin on the customer service and everything so if if any question or anything it 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 takes a little bit to uh, to to get a response and if there's anything if sometimes they send you text documents that are not a hundred percent accurate and I have to complain about it and it takes weeks and weeks and weeks so so customer service is a little bit slow 
but the the fees, the transaction fees, are absolutely unbeatable. I mean, it's, I've done some comparisons with other brokers. Uh, they, they're, they're really good. And then also they have very good uh, margin interest rates. So it's not not that I use that very much, but uh, if if I have to, I I can use the I can use this big cushion of six hundred fifty thousand dollars and. Uh, uh, and, and take money out if I say if I have some kind of an emergency uh, and I need money for uh, for a week or two, right, it's very easy to to take money out. And I think the margin interest rates are, are, are something like something like a percent or a percent and a half above the Fed funds rate. So as, as margin interest, that's that's actually pretty attractive. Gotcha. So you said earlier that you had kind of started to look at this fire thing a couple years ago. But you've obviously been saving, you know, long yeah. before that. When did you kind uh, of start putting money away, <laughs> and when did you oh. kind of at that point say, "Hey, maybe this f- fire thing is going to work out, and here's the plan, and and this is how I'm going to go about doing it." Oh, I tell you, it's from day one. So, I mean, I I think I knew about fire before I heard about fire. Uh, so I um, and. Um, so when I finished grad school uh, and I got my first salary, I, in fact, even as a even as a student, even as a college student, even as a graduate student, when you're kind of pretty cash strapped, I always made sure that I, I mean, just just save a symbolic amount every month, right? Uh, and then once I had my first real salary, I I started saving, and I, I definitely I had this plan to retire a little bit earlier. Than age than age sixty five or sixty seven, so I thought maybe maybe age fifty five or sixty, and then at some point I thought okay well I'm yeah age fifty, uh, and uh, yeah as, as the portfolio grew and uh, you reach and you get closer and closer to five I yeah I walk that down and um, yeah I, th- I think next year we can uh, we can retire pretty comfortably, uh, but again I mean it's a I. Uh, I discovered this this whole fire or fi community, uh, and uh, it, it it's it's good to make connections and and talk to other people, uh, but it's definitely a lot of the concepts uh, I at least roughly speaking I knew before, right? I mean you have to save your savings rates is the biggest determinant of of how quick you can retire is yeah obviously returns and asset allocation everything that that determines a little bit but the number one determinant is is your savings rate and not necessarily if you save a basis point here or there on on fees on fidelity versus vanguard versus schwab that's all really marginal so i i a lot of these things i i knew before but i mean it's it's also very nice to uh to meet uh like-minded people and uh uh, and and discuss these issues and and then also learn learn a lot of new things. I mean, a lot of new things I learned are some of these tax hacking tools, right? It's Roth conversion ladders and things like that, uh, and uh, so ways to save on taxes in retirement. Uh, so that uh, the, so a lot of the fine tuning definitely is due to. Uh, connecting with other people in the fire community, but again, so the general philosophy—I've had this since I, I guess age sixteen or something. I mean, when when I was in high school, I, I got interested in stocks, and uh, uh, so that's uh, th- th- that's something that started really early. 
You talked. You mentioned your savings rate. What What's your savings rate been through the years, and how has that changed? Uh, so again, when when I was a grad student, I tried to uh, even college student, I tried to keep a little bit of a positive savings rate. I don't know something like ten percent or so, and and ten percent of almost nothing is is still almost nothing. Um, and then uh, first job out of grad school. I uh, worked in uh, worked in academia, and uh, I had probably something like a twenty five to thirty percent savings rate, which I thought was really high at that time. Uh, and uh, again, so I didn't know about all the all the frugal blogs that that are out there, or they they didn't even exist back then. Uh, and now uh, our income is a lot higher. And then depending on how you calculate it, it's probably around 60% savings rate. If we if we go by the net, uh, in, in terms of the gross, it's hard to get. Uh, I, I once did the calculation. I think the, in terms of the gross, uh, it's hard to get even above 40% because I think our average tax burden is something like 30% already. So if I, if I wanted to save... Sixty uh, percent uh, that we wouldn't have much to, li- uh, to live on, uh, and uh, I, I had a, I had a blog post once where I looked at the the different ways of constructing savings rates, right, and how how to do it, how not to do it. Uh, for example, it's, it's very easy to quote unquote cheat on your savings rate, and uh, you, you look at your you look at your net salary that you that ends up on your paycheck, but you count as savings all the things that are taken out of your paycheck. Uh, beforehand so but that means you're, you're counting something on the on the numerator that's not in the denominator uh, and and then you can then you can get very high savings rates. but I, again I, I would I would never do that uh, so whatever number I count as savings in the numerator also has to be counted in the denominator so when I when I uh, take my savings I, I Include all the contributions to 401ks, to deferred compensation, uh, even my even the mortgage principal pay down is in some way saving, right? Uh, and then when I divide it, I basically take my gross income and uh, subtract taxes from that. So that way, the savings are counted both in the uh, in the numerator and denominator, and that's how I arrived at uh, about sixty percent. And then uh, the other adjustment that I would do is to account for the fact that. Uh, some of the savings, obviously, saving an additional dollar in your 401k pre-tax is easier than saving an additional dollar after tax, right? So, to account for that, you could also give a haircut to some of the pre-tax savings. So, and the haircut should be whatever you expect is the tax rate when you take the money out. Uh, and if you do that, uh, so give a haircut to some of the numbers in the uh, in the numerator, I think then I would end up at something like 55% savings rate. Uh, but yeah, again, I mean, I make very good money, uh, luckily, and uh, so that affords me a savings rate of it's definitely north of 50%. Gotcha. Has your lifestyle changed with this increase of income through the years? Or have you kept it pretty yeah. constant? Yeah, uh, so that's a good question. Uh, so I, we still have furniture that I used to have as a grad student. So, uh, and we're not shy about that. Uh, so I try to keep my lifestyle the same. Uh, but I mean, obviously, you you have some, you have some. Uh, 
some lifestyle creep, right? You go to nicer restaurants and uh, you drink nicer booze (laughs) (laughs) and uh, you go on nicer vacations. Um, There have been times where um, that was before it was before I got married, but uh, I mean, there, there, there have been times where I flew business class paying out of my own pocket. So, you, you know, you fly to Europe instead of paying a thousand dollars for round trip coach, uh, it was three thousand dollars business class. And I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to pay that and screw it yeah, because <laughs> it's a short trip. And uh, if I'm not comfortable uh, on the plane, it's going to ruin my vacation uh, in Europe. And then I come back and I'll be a total zombie for the rest of the week and I have to be on top of my game and my job. So there have been times when I splurged a little bit, which I would have never done in, in my previous job and which I would have never been able to afford as a grad student. Um, but uh, But overall... I think our spending uh, is has has stayed in bounds, and we we don't drive new cars. We drive one used car, uh, and um, we uh, we eat at home, uh, not because we have to, but my wife is an excellent cook, and uh, I I can't. Uh, I think the the only thing where we eat outside is uh, would be sushi because that's that's something we don't we don't want to touch at home, but it's kind of my my wife is uh, when we go to restaurants she would constantly analyze her her plate and then say okay this is how can I how can I replicate this at home or how can I make, <laughs> make this better and uh, so she's a uh, we uh, we spend a lot of money on experiences uh, and uh, so vacations um, and uh, so in terms of in terms of uh, clothing, in terms of uh, of cars, there there are a lot of money pits uh, you can spend a lot of money on. So fortunately, we own the condo where we live, um, and that has gone up in value. So we don't we don't have to because housing can be a very expensive uh, uh, budget item. Uh, yeah, but uh, so, yeah, in terms of yeah, restaurants, we don't spend too much. Uh, so it's it stays yeah. pretty con- stayed pretty consistent. It sounds yeah, like. yeah. It's definitely more than I used to spend as a single when I worked in academia. But it's it's not outrageously nothing more. lavish. Gotcha. N- nothing lavish. If if people see me, they they will they will still uh, think I'm I'm the same guy I was 20 years ago. So right. Let me ask you a couple more questions about your investment allocation here. Just going back to your to everything you have in in the markets, you have about what nine hundred and fifty thousand you said in this FUSVX S and P five hundred index fund. That's over, I guess, eighty percent, give or take, about what you have in the market. How come you're so heavy in that in that one oh, index fund? Oh. Oh, oh, and it's and it's even more because I also have taxable equity. That's another five hundred thousand dollars, and I pulled the numbers. That's currently about um, two hundred eighty thousand dollars in FUSVX and SPY. There's one uh, there's one account through work uh, where they do it only through ETF. So that that uh, SPY, I I picked that one. Even I mean, it has horrible fees for an, for an index ETF. I think it's nine and a half basis points, which is uh, which is totally uncompetitive because everybody else is between three and four basis points. Uh, and then I have also U.S. total stock market index. Uh, that's another two hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars. So, so again, I'm a I'm an index guy, and I 
uh, I, I never found any need to buy individual stocks. Uh, the one thing that I've been contemplating, and I've been contemplating that for a long time, is uh, if I should have more in international funds. And um, I, I, sh I, I, it's on my mind every day. Why am I not more in international stocks? So, <laughs> interesting. So let me just keep going through your your uh, breakout here of your net worth. So you have about five hundred and twenty, give or take, in home equity, three twenty in real estate. It looks like, and then you have deferred compensation for about one hundred and fifty k. What's that deferred compensation, and maybe some of the strategy behind that? Uh, so um, the f deferred compensation, so I currently have something about, uh, that's now $270,000. That is actually something that I already counted before. That is uh, that allocation that's in the SPY. And um, the reason why I'm counting that um, with a discount is that when I quit, I would get that deferred compensation. It's paid out and it would have to be taxed. And uh, so that's why uh, I would have to apply something like a 40% haircut because I have to pay uh, federal and state income tax on that. Uh, but again, there's, there's nothing to it. Uh, it's basically the, uh, the, the plan uh, why this was set up is that it's basically a tax arbitrage. So instead of paying the money out, getting taxed, putting it in stocks, and then letting it grow and being taxed on the dividends and and the capital gains, again, when you take the money out, uh, this money was rerouted and not taxed, but put straight into stocks. And then all I do is I pay taxes on the principal and capital gains only once. And so, so, so there's basically no compounding of taxes in there because you pay the taxes only once. It's, it's almost like, a, it's almost like a, a 401k plan where you can put in, I mean, you can put your entire bonus for the year in there, which I, I don't want to do that because I, I actually like to see some money in my hands and not have it all <laughs> deferred. But so, some people do that. Uh, and uh, so it works the same as a 401k. Unfortunately, with the 401k, you can decide when you take the money out. Uh, so there's an even better tax arbitrage because then you can defer it until you live, say, in a state that has no more income tax. And uh, I, I don't I don't have that choice. But th there's definitely still a pretty good uh, level of uh, tax arbitrage by by deferring the, the income tax and get taxed only once. Yeah. How long have you been putting money into that deferred comp account? Uh, I think I started with that in 2014. You have to okay. be at above a certain level. Uh, I think you have to be officer level at the at the company. You have to be above a certain uh, pay grade and above a certain bonus and salary. Yep, that's an interesting thing. I know some of our our listeners are in that situation of whether or not to to participate in, in deferred comp and stuff. So, uh, what what kind of advice would you have for somebody that's just getting started? Uh, well, I start early and put money away consistently. I mean, don't try to time the market. Uh, and um, especially if you think about people who are 30 years today, they were 30 years old and they want to retire, say, at age 60 or 65. I mean, you almost have to be a millionaire, right? So, I mean, you your show is called 
millionaires unveiled, uh, which sounds like, well, as a, obviously being a millionaire, it used to be something extremely prestigious. I think it's still pretty prestigious. But uh, for people who uh, want to retire in 30, 35 or 40 years, I mean, you almost you almost have to be a millionaire to, to make ends meet, right? Because a million dollars in 35 years at 2% inflation is worth about as much as $500,000 today. Uh, so uh, anyways, so uh, the, the best advice is um, do... Just make contributions regularly. Don't don't be afraid about timing the market. Or you can always find excuses for not investing, right? Oh, stocks are too expensive. They just had that big run, uh, and uh, but d- d- don't do that. Just steadily and uh, and uh, consistently invest. Because if if somebody asked me the the three point one million dollars did where did that come from did i make one right decision right did i buy one right stock uh, did i have one big break and of course i didn't right i, I can i can tell you okay okay this hundred thousand dollars came from here this five hundred thousand dollars came from here uh and as so there was not one one hail mary pass that i threw that that created the the seven-figure net worth. This is all just uh, th- this is all just slow, consistent, steady investing, and uh, because a lot of people you see out in the news, how did they become rich? They they sometimes they sometimes look like that, right? They had one big break, and they they were early investors in Facebook, or uh, they they got, uh, or they were an early employee at Google or Amazon. But for the average person, it's that that's not your path to become a millionaire. I think it's it's much more it's much more uh, certain and much more reliable to just do your. Uh, max out your 401k plan, uh, max out all your tax deferred accounts, stay very, stay very focused on, especially when you're young, you can take risks, right? You can, you can be a hundred percent equities. I mean, don't, don't even tell me that if somebody who has $50,000 net worth right now, oh, I don't want to be a hundred percent equities. I have to be at least, I have to have 20% bonds or 40% bonds. And I, I, give me a break. I mean, you can, yeah, I mean, you could lose $20,000 in the next global financial crisis, but I, I sometimes lose $20,000 during lunch break. So, and, uh, <laughs> so, uh, That's a good and point. So you can, right, I mean, think about risk, not in terms of percent. Think about risk in terms of dollars and and uh, and also in terms of how... How big is, say, a bad day in the stock market compared to how much money you make in a year and how much money you're going to make over the next 10 years, 20 years? So don't be, don't be worried about the stock market. Awesome. Earn from early retirement now. Where can, more, where can people find out more about you? All right, they can go to my webpage, earlyretirementnow.com, um, and there are all the the, the contact infos there. I'm on Facebook too. I'm on Twitter too. But I mean, you, you can you can find that all on the on the web page. Awesome. Net worth just over three million dollars. Going to retire next year. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.